going to move this over here. <laughs> Just so you know. <laughs> no, it's okay. Just so when you come up here and it's not there, <laughs> you have a clue where it is. Okay. Over the next few Sundays, we're embarking on a spiritual adventure. And I expect that every single person who engages in this adventure will discover that God is closer than you think. God is closer than you think. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, the next few weeks are designed to bring you even closer in your relationship with God. At least that's my hope. Christian author John Ortberg, maybe you've heard of him, maybe you've read some of his stuff, but he writes this, the Bible is all about life with God. It's about how God made this with life possible and will bring it to pass. For example, example let's consider the very first relationship God had with any people. God created, created Adam in the Garden of Eden. And I think most people picture it this way. Adam lived in the Garden. God lived someplace else, far away in heaven. And kind of came down every once in a while to earth to visit. But it wasn't that way. It wasn't that way. You see, the Bible is really, really clear that God is omnipresent. He isn't restricted to any location. So in the Garden of Eden, God and Adam, in a sense, hung out together. When Adam worked, God was right there. When Adam named the animals, God was right there. The Bible says, whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. And God would say, hey Adam, good name. You're a good namer. I don't know how he came up with aardvark. But <laughs> when Eve was created and Adam first saw her, God was right there. And Adam said, God, nice job on this woman. I, I had no idea you could do that. <laughs> Adam and God were, among other things, inseparable friends. What Adam did, he did with God. Where Adam went, he went with God. Until Adam and Eve's fateful decision to disobey God a day some people call the fall. After the fall, God comes to the garden to walk with Adam in the cool of the day. Apparently that was part of their routine together. They'd go for a walk. But this time, Adam wasn't there. And God calls out, Adam, Adam, where are you? And there's this rustling behind the shrubbery. And a timid voice answers God, I heard you in the garden. 
And I was afraid. So I hid. God wanted to be with Adam. But Adam didn't want to be with God. And God's heart breaks. But God doesn't give up. You see, God's great desire was to be with Adam. And even though the relationship had been violated because of Adam and Eve's choice, because of their sin, God continued to want that relationship restored. God longed for the intimacy of their walks, of just hanging out together. So God worked with Adam's descendants. And every once in a while, every once in a while, they get it. For example, the Bible says of Enoch, and Enoch walked with God. Later, the Bible says of Noah, and Noah walked with God. Now, God wasn't being elusive. He wasn't developing these huge hoops for a person to jump through in order to be with him. The simple truth of the matter is that most people didn't want to be with him. But God kept wanting to be with people. One day, it's kind of like God said to the angels, Now, watch this. I'm going to start a new people called Israel. And I'm going to teach them to be with me. So everyone will want to be with me. And the Bible records a new pattern of relationships with God. Talking about a grandfather, his son, and his grandson. The Bible say, says, God was with Abraham. God was with Isaac. God was with Jacob. And in those relationships, God would do some very surprising things to teach people about what it meant for them to be with him. Jacob had a son for whom life didn't work out well for a whole long time. That was Joseph. But the strangest thing happened and kept happening. Joseph was sold into slavery. But the Bible says the Lord was with Joseph in slavery. He was put in prison. But the Bible says, but while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. Later on, when the people of Israel were led out of Egypt, the text says the Lord was in a pillar of cloud by day and in a pillar of fire by night, so that the people would know he was with them. It's like God just keeps saying, I want to be with you. I want to hang out with you. I'll be with you in the garden. I'll be with you in the flood. I'll be with you in prison, in slavery, in Egypt, in the wilderness, in the promised land. I just want to be with you. You're picking up on the great desire of God's heart 
on and on and on this theme goes until finally God wants to, do, wants to be with his people so badly, he comes up with a really wild idea. It's like God said to the angels, I can't stand it anymore. I'm just going to go on down there my own self. And the angels say, angels say, you can't do that. How are you going to do that? And he looks at him and says, watch this. And he sneaks down. And in the middle of the night, he's born in a manger. He grows up in a one-horse town, and then he gets a job pounding nails eight hours a day. Do you remember that conversation that the angel had with Joseph when he informed him about Mary, Mary's pregnancy? The angel said that Jesus would be called Emmanuel. Do you know what that means? It means God with us. God with us. In fact, I believe a central theme of the entire Bible could be called the Emmanuel Principle. The, the Emmanuel Principle is this. It's God's constant desire that we should, in every aspect, be a dwelling place for him. Let me repeat that. Think about it. God's constant desire that in every aspect we should be a dwelling place for him. At the end of his ministry, Jesus confirmed this when he said, Surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. When you ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, God sent His Spirit into your life to always be with you. Always. Your body really is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Think about it. You can be Bethel, Bethel, the house of God. It's like God is saying, I just want to be with you. I just want to be with you. God's desire is so central that at the very end of the Bible, when God sets everything right, the fulfillment of human existence is described in the same terms. Listen, Revelation 21. Now the dwelling of God is with men. And he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them. And be their God. God's desire and plan leads all the way to eternity. Now let's get specific and talk about what that means for us today for the rest of the week. Let's start here. When you're at work and you sense anxiety or worry, 
Think about the greatness of God. He's big enough to take care of you through whatever is looming. Talk to him. When you're faced with some kind of temptation, be upfront with him about the temptation. He already knows what you're facing. Ask for his help to show you the best route of escape and the courage to take that route. They're two different things. If you're facing problems in your life, Pour out your heart to him. He's waiting to hear from you. Let him know from your own perspective how difficult or impossible this seems. If you're thankful, if you're happy, tell him. Be specific. Tell him what you're thankful for in your life. Tell him why you're happy. He just wants to be with you. just wants to be with you. Get the idea? If I were going to boil down the practice of all spiritual life in a simple statement from Scripture, it'd be found in Psalm 16 where it says, I have set the Lord always before me. I have set the Lord always before me. When I do that, there's certain thoughts that are characteristic of God that settle into my soul. And when these are present, there's a good chance that they are the result of God's presence with me. I want to walk through some of these signs of God's presence so you can recognize them when they come. And they all come. They all come frequently in our lives. And they go. Don't let them go. Those are signs that God is with you. One of the indicators of God's presence is reassurance. When God was talking to Joshua, just before Joshua led the Israelites into the promised land, God reassured him of his presence. He said, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Ortberg, in one of his writings, gives a list of what are supposed to be actual quotes from employee performance evaluations. You know that they write up on you and get stuck in your chart and all that stuff? Listen. I would not allow this employee to breed This employee is not really so much of a has-been, but more of a definite won't-be. This employee would be out of his depth in a parking lot puddle. 
This employee is depriving a village somewhere of an idiot. No raises this year. No, no, no raises at all. Now, I mention these because for a lot of people, a lot of us, when we think about God, we think about him primarily as a divine performance evaluate, evaluator. He's up there making notes on us. We did that. Oh, we didn't do that. And that's what he's doing. Right now, performance evaluations of us. If you think about God in this way, you'll find yourself avoiding him in your mind. You won't talk to him much. Understand, in the history of the universe, God has never asked anyone to do something by themselves. Whatever God calls you to do, you do it in partnership with Him. And one of the ways you will know that God is present is when you experience His reassurance. Somebody rejects you. But in the midst of the pain, the thought occurs to you, I'm loved by God. You're in transition facing a big challenge in your life. Not sure how it's all going to work out when suddenly you have this sense that you're not alone. This won't destroy me. It hit a man named Paul in prison one day when he realized, I can do this. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When those thoughts come into your mind. This is God with you. This is the Emmanuel principle at work in your life. Reassuring you that God is with you. Second sign of God's presence with you is His guidance. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 16, I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. Sometimes, guidance will come to you. For instance, you're in a store, and there's a clerk standing behind a counter that everyone's just treating like a machine. And you get a sudden inclination to look her in the eye and to pray a silent prayer of blessing on her. Or you're stumped at work. And all of a sudden, an idea breaks through that is exactly what you need. Or you're feeling distant from your child. And all of a sudden, an opportunity to build a bridge, to reconnect, is just dumped in your lap. Or you're just about to say something stupid self-promotional or damaging to someone when that still small voice in your head whispers, John, shut up! Insert name here. <laughs> I hear that one a lot. 
Remember the Emmanuel principle. Be open to the possibility that God is doing, actually doing, what he said he would do. He is with you. He is reassuring you. He is guiding you. The third side, sign of the presence of God in your life may not make you feel like He is for you, but it's one of the greatest expressions of His love and desire to be with you. And that's conviction. Jesus said that when the Spirit of God is present, He will convict the world of guilt in regards to sin and righteousness and judgment. John 16. This is the hardest aspect of God's presence with us. The truth is, my desire for God can be pretty selective. Sometimes I want God not to be around. An example is seen in a children's uh, behavior when they're doing something they know that they shouldn't do. There's a story of a two-and-a-half-year-old named Larissa who was enjoying water in the backyard with Nana. Nana gently counseled her to water the potted flowers. But she had just discovered mud for the first time before, by pouring water on a small patch of dirt. And Nana told her not to put water on the dirt because it makes mud, and mud will get everything dirty. But mud it was! But it was. And Nana, who had been reading, facing away from the action, soon discovered this and cleaned up what was to her a big mess. And then Nana returned to her reading, but now she was seated so as to be facing La Larissa. And the little girl soon resumed her mud-making routine, saying sweetly, Don't look at me, Nana. Okay? Nana, of course, agreed and continued her reading. Then Larissa would make black mud, put some of it in the tub, then some more. Three times, she said, as she continued her mud making. Don't look at me, Nana. Okay? The tender soul of a little child shows how necessary it is that we be unobserved in our wrongdoing. Most of the evil and darkness in our lives requires hiddenness to continue to exist. The soul that chooses wrong runs from God. You know, it may be that out of all the prayers that have ever been spoken, the most common one, the most quiet one, the one that we least acknowledge making, is simply this. Don't look at me, God. Don't look at me, God. It was the very first one spoken after Adam and Eve's sin. God came to walk in the garden to be with the man and woman and asked, Where are you? I heard you in the garden and I was afraid, so I hid. Don't look at me, God. An executive who's going to pad an expense account. Don't look at me, God. 
an employee who's going to deliberately make a coworker look bad. Don't look at me, God. A Christ follower who makes financial decisions that will keep him from tithing, keep him from being the kind of steward that he knows God wants him to be. Don't look at me, God. Don't look at me. Student who looks at somebody else's paper during an exam. Don't look at me, God. The longtime church attender who relishes the opportunity to pass judgment on somebody else. Don't look at me, God. A couple who claims to follow God but refuses to give up sleeping together. Don't look at me, God. A participant in a bitter divorce who chooses to hang on to resentment and self-righteousness. Don't look at me, God. First you have to say a little prayer. You don't say it out loud, of course. Probably you don't even admit it to yourself. But it's the choice your heart makes. Don't look at me, God. Don't look at me. Here's a key key question when you experience the sign of God's presence through conviction in your life. Will you at that moment stop? Listen to God's Spirit. Be honest with God. God, the truth is, I don't want you here right now. I want to do what I want to do. But I'll stop. I'm willing to surrender. I'd rather let go of my anger, my addiction, my pride, than to let go of you. Spiritual growth, in a sense, is simply increasing our capacity to experience the presence of God in our life. Let me say that again. Spiritual growth, in a sense, is simply increasing our capacity to experience the presence of God in our life. That's worth ten minutes of thinking about this afternoon. The fourth and final sign of God's presence is joy. The Bible said, You have made me to know the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Again, Psalm 16. Jesus said to people who refused to follow him, who refused to be with him, it's like, we played the flute, but you wouldn't dance. Matthew 11, if you want to look that one up. Sometimes, when God is present with you, you'll know because a little voice inside your head will say, dance, dance. Some of you will be in your car driving away from the church service with music playing that makes you happy and you'll be singing and dancing and looking like a fool and that will give you joy. 
Others of you will be driving next to someone who is singing and dancing and looking like a fool, and that will bring you joy. Others of you will have put in intensive effort at work and accomplished something significant. It'll really be good. And you get a surge of satisfaction, and that will give you joy. Or you see a, sun, a sunset, or a tree in a forest, or the face of a friend that you love, and that will give you joy. You'll feel a rush of gratitude for, for no reason at all. Just the sheer goodness of being alive. And you feel joy. So, God's great desire is to be with you. He's expressed it from cover to cover in the pages of the Bible. He has gone to extreme lengths to make sure that you know it. He is showing you signs through every single day of his presence. This week, pay attention. Experience the reassurance that comes from God, the guidance, the conviction, and the joy of his presence. God is playing the flute for you. You're living in Bethel, the house of God. God is closer than you think. Let's pray. Father God, forgive us for the times that we, we don't even notice that your presence is with us as we just go blasting through life, taking care of things, dealing with all the stuff we have to do. And then we pop into church on Sunday to kind of try to reconnect for a little while. Father, give us a fresh perspective. Give us an experiential perspective of your presence with us all the time. And that you really want to be with us. I don't understand that. But I wouldn't be faithful to Scripture if I didn't believe it. You want to be with us. You want to hang out. You want to take a walk so to speak, with us. Help us to see those times throughout this week in our life. And may that draw us closer to you so that we don't hide. We're not, we're not just hiding and relating to you over some distance. We want to be with you, too. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. If you'd like to stand...